0: Let's pray, and then we will pick up in Exodus chapter 11. Father, we thank you this evening for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to lift our voices in song and to praise you. We thank you for the gifts and talents of our, uh, of our youth, our students, and those that lead. We thank you, Father, that uh, uh, we've had opportunity to not only to listen to them, but to fellowship together with them as well. We thank you for answering prayer on behalf of so many. You continue to answer prayers uh, for us and as, as the Flat Creek family, not only corporately but individually, and we continue to lift these up to you. We pray for Willie tomorrow and the procedure that he would have, <clears throat> and others, no doubt, Lord, that uh, we've been lifting up to you. Continue to pray for Mike, uh, his response, so thank you this evening for, answer prayer on behalf of robbie and, and so many others as you continue to bless them we pray for uh brett's ours and the uh, result of that uh, heart monitor we pray for his sister-in-law ask that you would uh, be with her as well during this time uh, and others lord that uh, we perhaps can't recall uh, in memory tonight but we we know that you can so we ask that you intervene on their behalf we do pray for our children tonight and word of life, and likewise with our students as they are studying the word. We pray that you'd illuminate our hearts and minds as we start to look at uh, certainly one of the more uh, prevalent, uh, not only a plague, but also an institution that you gave to the Hebrew people that continued throughout the Old Testament, continued, in fact, Jesus um, every uh, Passover time in, the, in uh, April he would he would participate with his disciples and so it's an extremely important time it teaches us about the Lamb of God. We thank you for the opportunity we have once again to look at your word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you Tim. So we closed out last uh, Sunday evening with this particular slide. We've covered the nine plagues, and now we're going to look at the last one, and we took some time to go through uh, and look at various uh, scriptures, especially in the Old Testament or primarily in the Old Testament, that uh, when Pharaoh asked a question in Exodus 5, and Moses said to the, the, the Lord, I'm here as a messenger from the Lord. He's let my people go that they may worship me, and so Pharaoh's question is, who is the Lord?" and I don't know him, and so, therefore, I'm not going to let uh, his people go. We talked about that some briefly this morning. Why do these things occur? Well, to show the power of God through Moses, talked about that, to give a testimony to the children of Israel for future generations, uh, and that's carried through the Old Testament into the New Testament, to judge the false gods, the demons of Egypt. We've addressed those as well. To warn the nations, more than 400 years later, the Philistines remembered that the Lord God of Israel was the one that plagued the Egyptians, so these events are rooted in history, and that's important. Uh, God is a God of history, and so they're rooted in history. There's a testimony of the greatness of God to to Israel mentioned in Exodus 15, Deuteronomy 4, and and Jesus himself would mention uh, some of these in the New Testament. So that brings us to chapter 11. Now, close out chapter 10 in verse 27. It says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well, I will never see your face again. There is now a chapter and verse division, from chapter 10, verse 29, to chapter 11, verse 1. But in real time, there was no chapter and verse division. So the conversation that takes place in chapter 11 is a continuing conversation that the Lord is having with Moses, and that Moses is having with Pharaoh. Pharaoh. So remember that, okay? And chapter 11 starts with, then the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, <coughs> he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the, of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, <clears throat> in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, and he's talking, of course, to Pharaoh. About midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, uh, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow me, I'll follow you, rather. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. <clears throat> now, this probably is Moses, and it's also Pharaoh, <clears throat> both of whom are uh, in anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened to Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now, I'm not going to read chapter 12. It's one of the longer chapters in the book of Exodus. It's 50 verses. But it is the institution of the Passover. It is very detailed. Uh, You've perhaps heard it said that God is in the details, and here he is in the details. One of the great messages that we learn from the book of Exodus, and this is just the beginning of the details, is that God is concerned about how he is worshipped. And the Lord, Yahweh, sets the precedence for how he is to be worshipped. This is not something that we develop. Now, pagan gods, the, the pantheon of Egypt, was uh, essentially a, a superstitious pantheon. And uh, as you go through all the, the ancient uh, uh, nations, whether it be Egypt or whether it be the Babylonians, whether it be Greece, whether it be Rome, or even till today. Uh, pantheons that are not part and parcel of the monotheistic Yahweh that we see here in the Old Testament, and of course, Jesus Christ revealed in, in the New Testament, that those modes of worship are evil. They are wicked. As I said this morning, they are lies. As we learn, it's a sin to tell a lie. It's also a sin to believe a lie. So here you have multitudes of Egyptian people that have believed uh, lies about their gods for literally hundreds of years. So the Lord is sets about to correct that. Now remember, the Hebrews had been in Egypt for 400 years. The first part of that time in Egypt, they were uh, led by Joseph. Joseph was the the vizier of the pharaoh, or the prime minister, if you please. And so as long as Joseph lived and those that followed Joseph for some period of time, the Hebrew peoples were allowed uh, a great number of uh, rites, if you please. But in the very first chapter of the book of Exodus, it tells us that there rose up a king, there rose up a Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph. And so what happens with folks uh, that are, uh, that where the Spirit of God doesn't uh, reveal himself to them, what happens to individuals that forsake uh, the written word of God is they always, 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 evolve into sin. And so one of the reasons for the instructions and the details of the instructions, there are 10 commandments in chapter 20, but there are 630 some laws from the latter part of the book of Exodus through the end of the book of Deuteronomy. So there's a purpose for each one. Now, we're not under the moral obligation of, uh, excuse me, the ceremonial obligation of the law but we are still under the moral implication of the law. It doesn't save, but it is an expression of who God is. And if it's an expression of who God is and we are made in his image, then it is important that we subscribe to them through the power of the Spirit of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself taught this in uh, the New Testament. So, chapter 11. <clears throat> is the basically the last stand of Moses before Pharaoh and here Yahweh gives the final warning to Pharaoh and it is a grave and serious warning so if you look at the notes here this evening in the first 3 verses one of the things and I remember Always keep in mind that the, the Hebrews are slaves, and they, for the most part, are chattel slaves, very similar to, if not in some cases, even more severely treated than chattel slavery in the 18th and 19th century, perhaps uh, similar to let's put it that way. So there was no wealth among the Hebrews, although they lived in the land of Goshen, which was an extremely rich land. And apparently the pharaohs never uh, moved them from that land. They were a productive people even in the land and even as slaves. But we come down to a point to where they literally don't have uh, anything of means. So let's, uh, let's fast forward just a bit. Let's say a year or so from this particular incident that's going to take place, the Passover, six months to a year. And you have the giving of the law, and one of the first things that occurs while the law is being given is that the Hebrew people take the silver and gold, and they fashion for themselves an idol. Now, prior to what takes place in these uh, in uh, verses two and three, where the Egyptians, uh, I won't say donate, they they literally give. The Hebrews, uh, in fact, we're told later on, they've, they've given up their bracelets, they've given up their rings, they've given up their, their um, uh, necklaces, all manner of, um, uh, of jewelry to rid the land of the plagues. This was, uh, this was, hey, when it comes down to knowing whether or not you're going to live or die one day to another, It doesn't matter how much jewelry, how much money you have. So they are willfully giving, making these gifts to the Egyptian people. And um, so the Lord tells Moses what to tell Pharaoh, and indeed he does. And he says, I want you to take these articles of silver and these articles of gold. As we go through the latter part of the book of Exodus, this gold and this silver will be put to great use in building the tabernacle. And later, that, that has not been used will be used for the building of the temple. It was not for the, the, uh, uh, the Hebrew people were not benefactors necessarily of this gold and silver. It was given for the purpose of preparing places to worship. The Lord. So obviously, some of it, no doubt, was used in exchange as they moved across uh, uh, the Sinai Peninsula into Kadesh Barnea. Uh, But most of this was used as the tabernacle was constructed and fabricated, as the fabric for the tabernacle was made. We are told that the fibers of the curtains that surrounded the tabernacle, had gold and silver woven into them. So the Lord, again, very, very meticulous about the design of the the place that's used to worship him. So that's important. Now the Lord had promised, telling Moses back in chapter 3, he was going going to deliver his his children, from Egypt. <clears throat> and now he encourages the people to take what the Egyptians are giving them. Now, not only are the precious metals given to them, but no doubt there are other metals as well. This is thought to have occurred in the Bronze Age, so there was, a, there was an explosion of um, uh, metalworking, uh, understanding of the wisdom of metalworking, during this time about 4,000 years ago. So the bronze work and the, the skill sets that the Hebrews took with them uh, had been uh, taught to them, no doubt, by the Egyptians. So they were able to take this with them as well. So very important that we, we remember that. <clears throat> so the Egyptians did not pay the Hebrew people. They were slaves. Uh, they had to work for their, um, the places that they stayed they no doubt had some homes or whatever, and they were constructed certainly by the Hebrews, not by the Egyptians. But they were never paid. Slaves are never paid. And so here the Lord uh, demonstrates to the Hebrew people, and he also demonstrates to the Egyptian people. These are my people. In fact, one of the great verses in chapter 11 is in verse 7, the latter part, He says that the Lord does, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference. Now, we live in a time when no one wants a difference. Uh, I had an illustration that I was going to use this morning, but uh, I can use it this evening. You may hear it later on. Uh, uh, Djokovic, which is, what's his first name? Novak, Novak Djokovic just won his 24th, is it 20, 23rd, 24th um, Grand Slam title? He's the first man to do that. But there was a woman many, many years ago that won 24. And um, you probably have heard her name, but it has not been in the news for the past 20 years. Her name is Margaret Court. She is an Australian. She also is a strong Christian, and she advocates for. We we're talking this morning about uh, testimony and about uh, giving a, a reason for the hope that lies within you. She is a renowned speaker now. She's, I guess, in her mid to late 70s, if not uh, older. But um, For years, we've heard that the, uh, is it uh, Vanessa Williams, Serena? and Vanessa is the one that's won so much, right? Venus. Beg pardon? Venus. Venus. But Serena is the one that won so much. Serena, one of the Williams girls. Okay. She's the youngest girl, right? I think the other one's the oldest. All we have heard for years is how one, and she is. She's a marvelous tennis player, but she has never achieved, and probably at this point, We'll never achieve what Margaret Court achieved. Why don't you hear that? So the Lord does make a distinction, and the Lord doesn't make, does make a difference. He does not do this so that we have pride. He does this because he is the Lord. It is in his marvelous wisdom that he has made these choices and seen them through. We are part and parcel of that because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of us, but there is a difference. And this difference is driven from the release of the Hebrew slaves Through their development, we're going to see that development unfold in the latter part of the book of uh, Exodus into uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy as well. We've seen this marvelous work of the Lord unfold in the life of the Hebrew people. Now, F.B. Meyer wrote, These jewels were employed afterwards in the adornment and enrichment of the sanctuary. They flashed in the breastplate of the high priest, and they shone in the sacred vessels. So, (laughs) the Lord's always thinking. The Lord is always up to something. He's doing a billion things now that you and I will never understand, don't need to understand. So, one of these great understandings of Yahweh in this passage of Scripture. Next slide, if you would. So in verses 4 through 8, Moses goes into some detail about the Passover. Uh, And remember, the ninth plague is the plague of darkness. And we talked about that last week. It was so dark that for three days, the Egyptians did not even move about their houses. And now that had, that plague has subsided and the Lord has determined that this tenth plague is also going to take place at night. Men love darkness rather than light. And so, when Ra, the sun god, and Seti and all these other gods of Egypt, when Yahweh has... Basically, dealt them a, a fatal blow. The last fatal blow will be in the dead of night. So this is when when Moses makes this uh, announcement to Pharaoh. Can you imagine? Because he says, "Look at verse five. All the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn." Of you, Pharaoh. From the one that sits on the throne, from the throne sitter in heaven to the throne sitter on earth, from the one that sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill. And this goes to the uh, to the book of Isaiah. Look at the third bullet. Even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, And so this basically in Isaiah is a prophecy to set behind the two millstones. And that's what literally the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew reads, is to do the work of the lowest woman slave in the household grinding corn. Craig brought out this morning in his teaching about washing uh, feet. It was reserved for slaves. Only slaves washed the feet of individuals. And so only a woman slave would grind corn between two millstones. And that's why he says this. He says, from the greatest Pharaoh, from the throne setter to the millstone grinder. I am no respecter of persons. These things are going in All the firstborn of the animals, not perhaps at this point, not a... A lot of animals left, but those that are left, the firstborn of the animals. There shall be a great cry, such as it was not like it before. Never will, never will be another cry like it again. But against my children, and this was one of those remarkable phrases, shall a dog move its tongue. You ever seen a dog when it lies down? Very seldom is its tongue in its mouth. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's panning. And that tongue is a a dog shall not move its tongue. Even the animals will be in reverence. What What a remarkable supernatural event. And then your servants, Pharaoh, they'll come down, they'll bow down to me. You and all the people get out, and after this I'll go out. And then he says, Goodbye. Nice knowing you. See you. I wouldn't want to be. You. Now, there should not be any empathy in our hearts and our souls for Pharaoh. The Lord has now given him nine opportunities to repent, and there will be a tenth one. But because he's hardened his heart, there's no repentance. When people choose to be unrepentant after the Lord has dealt with them for years and years and years and years and years. The Bible says, and God gave them over to their desires. When that's done, we can pray for them and pray for their families, but they have been consumed by their own wickedness. There's no doubt that Pharaoh was consumed by it. He's so consumed that, when at the end of this, when this, or when Passover is is uh, done and he releases the Hebrew people, that he he assembles his army and chases off after them again. So, one of the things that sin does when it goes to a point to where we just don't want to be concerned about the Lord or his person or his word or his work is that it, as it says here, he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Pharaoh was angry. Moses, no doubt, was too. He had not heeded the word of the Lord. And, of course, in verse 9, uh, the Lord tells Moses, "You know, again, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. You know that. My wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And so Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. Speaking of the nine, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. It dawns on Pharaoh uh, that the law of uh, primogeniture, which is the generational passing of life from one generation to another, uh, is going to be dealt a uh, a very severe blow. Pharaoh, uh, this this particular pharaoh, as far as we know, was the firstborn in his family, and the uh, superseding pharaoh, uh, the one that uh, whose life will be taken that night, would be naturally the one that inherits the realm of the Egyptians. But he's gone. He's he's going to be it finally dawns on Pharaoh this is going to happen. He has looked back over so many days or months or weeks now for the, for the nine that have taken place, and he understands this is the most terrible thing that could be inflicted, and even though he understands it, it still doesn't change him. That's the way Satan is, even though he understands that Jesus is God, and that Jesus will one day seal his doom, he still goes after and follows his own, his own self, his idol. I think that's the last slide for this. I think we start looking at the Passover in the next slide. Go down if you would, brother. <clears throat> okay, just a summary here. None of the children of Israel shall the dog move its tongue. Um, what, what's taking place here is that the Egyptians now realize that it's the fault of Pharaoh. It's not Moses' fault. It's not the Hebrews' fault. It's the fault of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was always looking for someone to blame, as many people do. As most sinners do, they're always looking for someone to blame. And now, of course, he's run out of uh, individuals. Now... Kaiser, in one of his commentaries, says an unprecedented outpouring of grief would follow. But among the Israelites, there was, would be much tranquility on that evening and that no dog would bark. Can you imagine that? Our dog is old and he still barks at night. So, and then that tremendous passage that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So Pharaoh positioned his pantheon against Yahweh, he assumed there was no difference, but he made a fatal mistake. Yahweh demonstrated to him that there was indeed a difference. Spurgeon, the message on this passage says, the Lord hath put a difference between those who are his people and those who are not. There are many distinctions among men which one day will be blotted out, but permit me to remind you that at the outset that this is an eternal distinction. In other words, it's not a knee-jerk reaction of Yahweh. This had been determined. His people were going to be delivered. He didn't decide one day to deliver them. It was in the eons of eternity past, some fashion, that the Lord determined this. And so the final words of Moses to Pharaoh, he said, uh, when this happens, you'll be glad to get rid of us. We've tried for several months, if not a year or so now, to, to, uh, to beg your indulgence, and you have been untruthful. So next week, we'll start to look at chapter 12, a long chapter. It'll take us a while to get through it in its very detailed. so we'll... Look at that. Any comments or questions tonight on what we've covered? Father, we thank you for your word. Think back over the last few years, Lord, when we studied the book of Genesis and uh, the the beautiful and wonderful first two chapters of the book of Genesis, how that you made everything, saw everything, and you, you said everything's good. Very good is what you said. And then, Lord, we... We read and studied that third chapter of the book of Genesis and the fall of Adam and Eve, the impact that it's had on billions of people that have walked this globe. But in that third chapter, you made a promise. And that promise was the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And Jesus, we thank you this evening for in the counsels of the Godhead, (laughs) Lord, we don't even... We can't even fathom how long ago that was. These things were determined. We now, Father, have been through the first 11 chapters of the book of Exodus. A good portion of 80 years, at least 80 years has transpired in these first 11 chapters. We've seen Moses become uh, receive your call, move from a prince to a shepherd, from a shepherd back to a prophet. and We've seen how you've exalted him in the face of Pharaoh and his people. And, Lord, we've seen how you've made a difference. Remind us that when you saved us, you meant for us to make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.